Hi, this is Malayan Verveer. And this is Kim Azzarelli. We are co-authors of the book, Fast Forward, How Women Can Achieve Power and Purpose. And you're listening to Seneca's Conversations on Power and Purpose. Welcome to this special edition. This new six-part series called Getting to Equal will change the way you think about women and leadership. And it comes at a time when women's leadership has never been more crucial. We have two amazing leaders who are guest hosting these six episodes. Carolyn Tastad, Group President, North America, and Deanna Bass, Vice President, Global Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion, both from P&G, one of the largest consumer goods companies in the world. Together, Carolyn and Deanna have created an impressive gender equality strategy for P&G, and it's a strategy that's really breaking new ground on these issues in the private sector. And they'll be joined by incredible guests from all walks of life. In this second episode of Getting to Equal, Carolyn and Deanna talk with actor, director, producer, and entrepreneur Justin Baldoni. They discuss why the old definitions of masculinity don't work for anyone and why men's participation is critical in achieving gender equality. Carolyn and Deanna, thanks so much for joining us again and for guest hosting this series. Thanks, Kim. I want to introduce our guest today, Justin Baldoni, who we all know and love from his role on Jane the Virgin. Justin is a producer director, entrepreneur, and owns his own studio, Wayfarer Studios, an independent financial and production engine, pioneering purpose-driven multi-platform film and television productions that elevate and speak to the human spirit. He's also created a dinner conversation series called Man Enough, which ties into traditional masculinity while focusing on topics like body image, relationships, and fatherhood. Justin has been using his influence to dismantle traditional ideas of masculinity. Now, Justin first became known as an advocate for gender equality in 2017 when he did a TED Talk titled, Why I'm Done Trying to Be Man Enough. So far, that TED Talk has received over 70 million views globally. We're so excited to have him on our show today. Welcome, Justin. It's so funny how the introductions always make you seem way cooler than you are grateful to be here with both of you. You're doing such great work. So, you know, you and I were talking earlier, we first met back in 2017 at that TED Women's Conference. And our friend, Allison Tuman Campus, was in the house with me. And we were sitting there watching you. And we had this realization that the things that we were trying to change in our own culture and in the world were so related to the things that you were talking about on stage, about reframing masculinity. So tell us about that TED Talk and why it was so important for you to do that. You say TED Talk and like all that anxiety kind of comes right back. You know, that was a really bizarre time in my life. I, uh, it's, but I can't believe it's going to be three years because I measure the TED Talk. Um, my, son was, my son was born like I think maybe five days before or seven days before the talk. So he's going to be three in this October. Wow. Look, I, I am not an expert in uh, gender studies or feminism or honestly masculinity. I am an expert in my own masculinity, uh, but that's it. And uh, when they approached me about doing a TED Talk uh, around masculinity, my first response was like, wow, I didn't feel ready. Imposter syndrome kicked in, which, um, which yes, men experience too. And I was also terrified because I knew that it was coming at a time when we were just starting to become uh, even more polarized uh, as it relates to 
conversations around manhood and masculinity and feminism. And the words were being weaponized. Yes. And I realized that I was so afraid uh, because it was so important. But more than anything, I'm grateful that there was such a massive response predominantly by women, but the men that it did touch, uh, the men that found it on their own, or the men that found it through the women in their lives and the women that they love. Also, Ted posted like a two and a half minute clip on Facebook that like had like 50 million views in like a couple of weeks. And I remember looking through that and seeing how many men were also attacking me and hating on it. There was nothing revolutionary about what I said. This was me just saying like, hey guys, let's be better guys. Or, hey, let's not run away from the parts of us that make us human. Or, hey, we can be compassionate and emotional just like the women in our lives. That doesn't mean that we're any less of a man. The bar is way too low. We could crawl over it. And and let's start to raise the bar little by little. Yeah, that's so great, Justin. You know, early in our work, we realized that men had to be part of the solution for us. They had to be equal partners in the work that we were doing on gender equality if we were going to make any progress at all. I mean, that's part of what we sparked to in your TED Talk. So inside PNG, we often use the word privilege, and we're really trying to normalize that word uh, because we think it's an important conversation for us to have. But it's a really scratchy word. So what do you think about privilege? If you don't know what it is, because you're blind to seeing it, then the second you hear the word, you're only attributing it to what you're seeing politically, which means politically, I'm being attacked. What we also know about privilege is for the people who have it, uh, asking for equality feels like oppression because it feels like you're being, you're, you're having your rights or your privileges or just simply the way you've seen the world taken from you. So suddenly, you're going to have less than what you have now. Right. And that's where I think it's important for the compassion to come in. And this is where I feel a lot for these men is these are hardworking men that are fighting to, to take care of their families just like we all are, just like you are. And the idea that, that, um, that they have privilege in many of these men's minds would mean that their lives are simple or their lives are easy, and they have more than. And the reality is that's not the case for a lot of these men. So I believe, this is a long answer to your question, and I'm not going to answer your whole question because we don't have enough time. But my personal feeling, as somebody who's not an expert, who doesn't have a PhD, who really doesn't even have a, uh, a reason to be having this conversation except for the work that I'm doing on myself, is that if you want to bridge the gap, we have to be careful and get away from the rhetoric and the politicized language that is making a lot of these men um, feel attacked, even if they are being attacked or even if they're being overly, overly sensitive. Because if you want to get to the men, we have to, which is again, a, the, the very thing that women excel at far greater than men is compassion, empathy. We have to speak to them in a language they can understand and let them know that they're not bad people. And I think this whole notion of how tough it is to have the conversation is part of what we're trying to get at. Justin, when you talk about this, you often talk about using your influence. What do you mean by that? What you both are doing right now. And you are saying, well, how do we use what we have 
to now do good? How do we use what we have? How do we use our voice? How do we use our privilege to find a way to actually bring people together and talk about things? And I'm so grateful that there are you know, so many women at the top, especially in your organization, that are fighting for that. So Justin, in preparation for this discussion, I invested several hours of my personal time in watching Man Enough episodes. I even, you know, uh, recruited my sons uh, to participate with me. How old are they? Uh, they're in their 20s, so 25, 26. And I found the discussions intriguing, enlightening. Um, and I also found myself very uncomfortable at times. And um, I think that I, I, like, I had to really think about why am I uncomfortable watching this? Um, I, a couple things came to mind. One is, I have never watched men sit around a table and have meaningful conversations about life and love and women and abuse and right that whole um, very intimate setting that can be created in your Man Enough episodes. Then there were some, I was like, I have no idea what these guys are talking about. Like, what is happening here? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I'm, I'm certain this conversation isn't about me. So I, tell us about Man Enough and what is it that you aspire with this platform? Yeah. So Man Enough was, again, all of this has just been an accidental journey. Like none of this was planned, right? I wish I, 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 wish I could say that I wrote this down in like a vision board or something in my 20s and I was like, I'm going to build a brand for men. And it, no, none of this was planned. I met my wife. She opened me up. I had a daughter. You know, um, I was raised in the Baha'i faith and the Baha'i faith were told that we must take ourselves to account each day and that we have to, um, we have to really look at what, uh, brings us to loftiness or abasement. And, you know, for me, I've just always been very confused about what it is to really be a man <clears throat> because the world tells me one thing and my heart tells me another and the women in my life tell me another and then certain other men tell me another and then the movies I watch or the TV shows I watch tell me, I mean, and there's so many different aspects to masculinity and manhood and so many different, um, so many different ways of being a man that it's just very, it's honestly very confusing. And I don't think it's something that we as men ever stop to question. The other thing that's very confusing is how lonely it is, right? It's very lonely to be a man at times because one of the greatest myths of masculinity is that we have to do it alone, right? You're a man if you can figure it out on your own. You're a man if you don't have to ask for help. You're a man if you don't have to ask for directions, right? You know. You're a man if you can figure out how to balance your work and your life and get your, you know, get your six pack, right? You're a man if you can figure out that project without having to like, you know, get any help. Like it's just, these are the things that we are told, you know, one plus one equals two our entire life. We're the things that this is what equals masculinity. And it's also very lonely. And we were never given the emotional um, language to question these um, signals and these beliefs. You know, my, uh, my youngest son, Dallas, uh, watched the several episodes and he said something that was really interesting that um, he said that for him, just using, you know, saying things like toxic masculinity or hyper masculinity um, feels feminine to him. Like, uh, 
talking about masculinity is not very masculine. And I think that's such a quandary that you're wrestling with in this platform. It, it is, though. I mean, that's the very reason we started it. Is you, you bring up the word toxic masculinity, and, that's, and this is what I want to go back to earlier with the TED Talk, is I said the word toxic at one point in it. Yeah. And I said, like, these things are toxic and they have to end. I never said toxic masculinity. And what I found was that the left liberal kind of news cycle magazines took the TED Talk and took it into Justin Baldoni fighting against toxic masculinity, right? And the right took that and they ran with it. And that is what your son is responding to is what's happened is the word toxic and masculinity have been put together as a liberal politicized word, right? That further widens the gap between, you know, the left and the right when this is not a left or a right issue. Right. It's unbelievable. Well, what's interesting is that somehow the, the conversation around masculinity has also led to being politicized. And one side uses words like that against the other, and they become politicized, right? So toxic masculinity refers to the fact that all men are toxic. And that's not going to get us anywhere. Just like your son said, right? Your son said, just even saying that word makes me feel feminine to me because we're being programmed as men to feel like we are traitors against our own gender, right? We're like disowning our own gender and basically becoming women by acknowledging that there are parts of ourselves or masculinity that are not good. But men, it's an all or nothing thing. And that's what we're fighting against. And so the conversations and back to the why was I had never seen this model. I had no idea how to have conversations with other men. Boys and men are not taught how to engage with other men. We don't, we're not even comfortable looking at our other men in the eye, let alone asking, calling other men when we need help. We have no idea how to reach out and talk to our guys when we're struggling, when, when we're dealing with things like addiction or when we get our hearts broken. We just are told that to be a man, to keep our man card, to like be considered an alpha or a masculine, we have to figure it out. But how do you figure it out if you don't have any way to, if nobody's ever modeled it for you? Most men have not experienced like fathers being emotionally open to them and loving. We aren't really born with that language. So we're at a deficit before we even start. So this conversation and the reason why it's uncomfortable for you and the reason why it's uncomfortable for many men is because we've never seen men have these conversations. Right. And I wanted to just create something that showed women and men that there is a way to have conversation and dialogue um, that is maybe different. But I'm happy that you were uncomfortable because in some ways you should be. Oh, good. I, I played my part well. <laughs> it was really, it's really, really fantastic work. We'll be back after this break. You know, speaking of uncomfortable, our Gillette team did a campaign and the title of the campaign was We Believe. It was all about masculinity. And the intention behind it, the aspiration was to show men as positive role models for young boys. Yeah. It was a very honest portrayal. It contrasted the positive role model with the not so positive role model. And, you know, we got a lot of feedback on that campaign. We got a lot of love and we got some hate. Uh, but in the end, I'm really proud of the team for standing by their conviction and holding the aspiration that they had front and center 
which was to show men as positive role models for young boys. I want to call it a modern sense of masculinity, if, if I can label it that way, although I don't really like these labels, but it is a way of showing a broader range of behaviors that we can celebrate. Yeah, it's so important to show those positive role models, mainly because sometimes we're unable to see our own bias. I'll give you another funny example of this. Um, I was working with one of our hair care brands uh, in North America. This was a number of years ago. And they were really excited about a new piece of advertising copy that they were developing. And they, they came to me and they said, I really want you to see this because I think this is going to take our brand to the next level. It's going to be great. And uh, they said, let me just read you the concept. Let me read you what I'm trying to do. And they started reading and they went through. And at one point they got to, because when she looks good, she can be her best. And I stopped them and I said, okay, just... <laughs> I said, just let's just stop here for a minute. Let's just stop here for a minute. And this, uh, our, our marketing VP was a man, a wonderful person, wonderful individual. And I said, let's just back that up a bit. I want you to reread that, but I want you to reread it and substitute the word he every time you say she and read it again with the same enthusiasm. And he started reading through it and he got to the point where he said, because when he looks good, and he stopped and he, and he started laughing and he said, oh my goodness, this just sounds ridiculous. And I said, it, if, it, if it sounds that ridiculous when you say he instead of she, it probably sounds a little ridiculous on the other side as well. But it became a great way and a very simple tip that we use to see bias. We call it flip the pronoun. Wow. Like what a Jedi way to do that. Like you just totally yodded him. In such a cool way, like flip the pronoun, but and and this is what all, but that's so cool because you just, I love that because you're just like in a really calm way. That's like a mastery level, like mind trick that you did in the middle of a meeting on the spot because you just went, okay, this is totally backwards, but he doesn't see it, and then you found a way to flip it. He read it and he came to the conclusion himself, which is the only way that you can get to us. And to your point, but that's gross, right? And that's it's like, so it's just, cool. how do you see it? How do you see it? Like we, uh, again, we all have biases, right? Every one of us. And so the question is, how do you teach yourself to see them? How do you teach yourself to look for them so that you can become better? It was honestly, they did, you know, this, this brand team has done such amazing work and, uh, and, and they've completely taken, taken the game up and they're doing amazing uh, communication, and I'm really proud of them. But again, it's just, it's continuing to continuing to learn for all of us. Hey, Justin, I have one other question for you here really quickly, but it goes back to what we're talking about here. It's both, you know, what people see and experience in advertising, what they see and experience in film and media. And you have uh, your own studio where you're, you um, kind of have a stated co uh, commitment to operate a little differently and maybe show humanity in different ways. I'd love to hear what you are doing with Wayfarer Studios. Let me tie this back to what we talked about earlier. I have felt fairly disenfranchised and uh, excluded from the Hollywood community kind of for a while. Um, I was very much put in a box where I was only, you know, I was only able to audition for certain things or was seen as a certain way. Right. And I just found myself like feeling disenfranchised in the sense that like, Nobody's going to give me a shot, so I got to create my own. And if I wanted to actually change something, then I had to find a then I had to find a way to bring the power um, and leverage that power 
to um, to kind of push things across the finish line. So I raised a bunch of money. I found a wonderful partner that shared the same beliefs as I do. And part of that is pushing forward new ideas of what it means to be a human and telling the stories that maybe haven't been told because they haven't made money, but they also haven't had the chance to make money. Therefore, like, you know, um, it's the same repeating cycle of why it's just only a new Avengers movie that comes out every six months. There's room for more stories told by people that look like those stories. And we just wanted to try to build something new. So it's through that frustration of being cut out of the winds that we started this thing. And, uh, and the studio is really essentially a place where anything is possible, right? We're working with brands like, you know, like you guys, uh, as, as consultants and saying, Hey, you know, maybe just, just like the, the Jedi mind trick we are helping brands figure out as well, which is like, what if you flip that on its head? Or what if you told the truth to your consumer? What about that? Um, and how do we do that in film and television? How do we tell people the truth? You know, you said earlier, uh, Deanna, that, that you took a few hours of your life to watch my content. That is the greatest compliment that anybody could ever give me. Because the one thing we know and the one thing we think about at Wayfair is that the, the most valuable asset, most valuable resource in any of our lives is our time. How are we spending that time, right? So if you're gonna give me two hours of your day, Four hours. That's even <laughs> right. That is a lot of time that yeah. you are choosing to give to me that you're not choosing to give to something else. So I better respect it and I better earn it and I better add value to your life with the content that I'm making and also the content that we're choosing to spend time making. Because as we know, it takes a long time to make good content and all the people involved behind the scenes, they're choosing to give that, their time to something. And we want to value and honor that time. Um, and so we're, we're trying to build kind of a next generation studio around those principles, which is touch the heart first, the money will follow. Because when it's not, we're not a nonprofit, but we don't believe in the algorithms per se that a lot of the traditional studios um, uh, employ, which is like coming from the idea first or, or coming from the, the star first or the IP first. We're all about what can hit the heart and then you'll break every every law, every rule, because people will naturally want to share it and give their time to it. And, uh, and we're just really, we're really excited to, to kind of go about it and disrupt uh, for good, you know? You know, I think you guys are doing such important work. And, and in essence, you're creating this, you're show, showing people this whole new possibility, right? This whole new uh, reality that the world can be. Yeah. And oftentimes when men take a look at uh, gender equality, or gender inequality, they they get invested in it uh, through the lens of their wives, their sisters, their daughters, and we think that creates empathy and and some momentum. And and while it's a good start, it, it's it's just not enough. And there's really the risk that we continue to put the responsibility for equality on women and girls. And so what we keep talking about is the importance of encouraging parents to talk about equality, gender equality not only to their daughters, but also to their sons. You have a daughter and a son. What's your perspective on this? And, and what do you tell your daughter and what do you tell your son? That's a great question. I'm really thinking a lot about this right now. I just, I just am finishing the manuscript to my book, which is going to come out in April. And with that book comes uh, a middle grade book, 
for boys 11 to 14. Nice. And a children's book. Nice. I think that equality, again, the, the teaching and the, and the understanding and the, uh, the basic like one plus one equals two version of equality needs to start with our children. And it's rooted, I believe, in, in spiritual values, right? And I say spiritual, not religious values, but in the spiritual values that are the unseen things that connect us all that help us all realize we're all brothers and sisters. It's the thing that happens to us when we see something horrific happen to someone like a George Floyd. It's what happens in our solar plexus and our bellies when we witness injustice, right? And we need to develop those parts of our children, the parts that, that generally understand right from wrong early, because those to strengthen the empathetic genes, right? The compassionate genes is then to give them a base by which when they witness things in their life, they have a clear sense of justice, of what is just and what is not, even when it applies to them, right? Because the, that's where it starts. They're not going to understand what's right or wrong um, for themselves if they're, if, the, if, if they're standing and climbing over people to, to win in the, at the end of their life. Because they're not going to realize that every person they're climbing over, every person whose opportunity they took from, you know, they took away is just like them. So it starts early on in the spiritual development, I believe, of our children. Um, and in terms of what I'm talking about with my kids, it is a, it's a daily conversation and, and it changes all the time. You know, I have a boy and a girl. So, you know, for one, making sure that I'm aware of my own biases as a parent, as a man. And my wife is as well, right? Just just being mindful about the language I use for my son, making sure I'm not only always calling him buddy or dude or, you know, hey buddy or hey bud or, you know, and, and I've noticed how 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 the men who come around oftentimes resort to that language, you know, um, and instead kind of complimenting, hey, sweetheart, you know, using words I would want to use for my daughter with my son, right? Um, the big thing we're doing right now is, is really teaching both of them, but focusing really on him, um, that the, the strongest muscle in his body is his heart. Um, and I'm trying to wow. develop and build a language around the heart. Because as my feeling of masculinity is that it's, it's, it detaches you from that part of you, right? And masculinity, as, I, as I've experienced it, the heart comes into play when it's broken, <laughs> um, when you get your heart broken. Yeah. So we say, we say something every night, the strongest muscle in my whole body is my heart. And then he says, I love my body. I love my mind. I love my heart. And I love my soul. I love myself. And I am enough. Because the thing that's also important is if you believe you are enough, right? If my children grow up believing that they are enough as they are, then they they aren't needing to fill their gaps or their holes with the injustices or, or the, the willing bystander to watch somebody else suffer um, or to succeed at the hands of somebody else. They know that they're enough as they are and they have more than enough that they can share, which goes back to the equality issue, right? Which is why we call it man enough. It all comes down to us as human beings feeling like we are enough as we are. And the last thing I'll say is, I think it's important to note that the work that I'm doing um, right now is really about 
undefining masculinity versus redefining masculinity. I want to undefine what it means to be a man because I think it, the problem lies in the definition. When we start to define something, then by nature, there is going to be somebody who's not included in that definition. And I believe as human beings, we just have to be human beings, right? We can be a man or we can be a woman. You can be gender nonconforming. You can be all those things. We're all, like, but I'm, my work is with the men that are like me. So I want to undefine the things that I've learned to create an ever-expanding definition of masculinity. And the undefining of my masculinity, my heart opens. And my world and my work opens and my compassion increases and my empathy increases and my vocabulary changes and I see the world different and I'm able to recognize my privilege because I realize I'm not being attacked, right? I'm being asked to open. So that's kind of, and, I, and I'm sorry, I know I'm a rambler, but that's the work that I'm doing at the moment as I'm finishing my book and trying to teach my children and understanding the, the cultural race um, uprising that's happening and my own whiteness and how, what that even means and its convergence with my masculinity. There's a lot, there's a, it's a rich time. Um, but I'm also very excited to then use that and share it with the privilege that God gave me in a positive way. That's so amazing. Your kids are going to be lucky human beings to get you for a dad and your wife as well, I'm sure. Is there anything in this conversation that you would say is kind of a must-have to show up in a, in, a, in a conversation about women and men and intersectionality and power and privilege and all the things that we've talked about? What I would say is making sure that the conversation, this specific conversation takes into account what we talked about earlier and paints a picture of a man rejecting this notion of whether it be feminism or, uh, or privilege um, as a whole human. Right? Yeah. And not as an antagonist. Because if we start to think about this 50%, these men as antagonists, then we are essentially putting them in a box. Right. Because you have to open their hearts. You have to open people's hearts. And the way you do that is with love, right? You do that with compassion um, and with empathy. And I think it's that shift of of thinking of it in a positive way and thinking of these people in a positive way and these men in a positive way where we on maybe we feel woke but on our side we have to have compassion for them i think when you combine those two things that's how you're going to get more receptivity and change people's hearts and advance the movement because nobody wants to have the conversation in a silo right you know justin you've uh, this has been so much fun we could go on and on uh but I think, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for spending time with us today. And I think your final comment about the importance of dialogue, the importance of um, accepting a broader view, making room for that whole person, is exactly what we really advocate for. Well, it was started by women, and uh, it's thanks to the women in my life that I have even had the permission to even have the conversation. So uh, thank you guys for doing all the work that you're doing. and. Um, and I hope that I can help and, and be helpful in some way. And thanks for having me on your podcast. Thank you, Justin. That was so fun. It was good to see you again. So good to see you guys, for sure. What an incredible conversation. Justin has such a great outlook on how we can all work together, women and men, 
to advance equality. Here are three takeaways I got from the conversation. First, men must play a role in creating progress for women. We can't get to equal without them. But this can only happen when we have an open and honest dialogue about power, privilege, and influence. And when our conversations come from a place of compassion and respect. Second, as we've heard before in this series, to make progress, we need to shift the narrative to change how we talk about women, men, and leadership. We need to see past the old definitions of masculinity and celebrate a broader, less confining range of behavior. When we do that, both men and women will benefit. And finally, we learned a great technique from Carolyn, one that can truly reveal bias. Carolyn calls it flip the pronoun. Try it when you're speaking about a woman or a man. Replace the word she with he or he with she and see how quickly bias is revealed. To learn more about Justin's work, go to manenough.com and join us next week when Carolyn and Deanna talk to best-selling author Eve Rodsky about why getting to equal at home is also critical to getting to equal in the workplace. Have a great week. You're listening to Seneca Women, conversations on power and purpose, brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio, with support from founding partner P&G. Listen to Seneca Women Conversations on Power and Purpose on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please support this podcast by telling your friends, subscribing, and rating us. For more information on Seneca Women, follow us on social media, visit our website, SenecaWomen.com, and check out the Seneca Women app, free in the App Store.